entering into um, the season of um, uh, the resurrection events, and, and it's fascinating that Jesus, when he rose from the dead, he, he appeared to different people. He appeared to, to Mary and, and, and to, to the other Marys, and then he appeared to, to the twelve, and then he appeared to uh, uh, the, the seventy, and then he appeared to five hundred, over a period of Forty days, and forty is, of course, a very important period of time. It's, uh, you know, things sink in. It's, you know, you and I are, are not very bright people. Um, but when things, new things happen to us, it doesn't sink in. It's, it's just over a period of time, and at the end of forty days, hopefully we get it. So Jesus appeared to different people. Obviously, the other thing that's so important to, to, to underscore is that Jesus appeared first to the women. And that's important because if this was something that was made up by the early Christian community, they would never say that it was women that saw the resurrected Christ first. But because it was women that saw the resurrected Christ first, the Gospels say so. And then he appeared to all these people who are Pretty dysfunctional, really. You know, Peter. They were all characters, just like you and me. Peter was a character. John was a character. Um, Matthew was another character. And I like it that, you know, each person in, in the closed circle and the larger circle around Jesus were characters who come with, come with their, own, um, their own sense of Problems, dysfunctionalities. Um, there is Peter, of course, who was the, the most um, um, colorful of all characters, I think. You know, it is um, uh, Jesus appears to him um, when he was fishing in the lake and, and he's not able to catch fish. And so Jesus says to him and to his compatriots, um, you know, why did he just set your net on the other side and, and you'll be able to catch fish. And, and of course, Peter would have licked at Jesus and said, where did you come from? You know, I'm the fisher person. I'm the macho guy here. I've been at this lake every day for these last so many years and you think you know something? And Jesus says, just try it, just try it. Peter, and he does, and he finds all this fish, and it's, it's, the, the boat becomes overloaded with fish, and, 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 and he says, who are you? And so he begins following Jesus. Jesus says, come on, I'll make you a fisher of human beings. So that's what you're going to be doing when you go to Rockford. Fish, human beings are the worst people to, to deal with. You know, we come with all our dysfunctionalities and all that. And so, he says, I'll make you a fisher of human beings to deal with all of those issues, with drowning people, with drowning people who don't want to be saved also, right? Those are the worst kind of people. When, when a person is drowning and the person does not want to be saved, that person will take you down as well. So, 
That's what Jesus says to him. And then, of course, uh, there's a storm. In Matthew chapter 14, there's a storm. And, and, and they are all out of sorts because they don't know what to do with the storm. And, and then they find this figure walking on water. And, and, and they're so scared. They say, whoa, whoa, this is a demon. This is a ghost. And, and, and um, Peter and John recognize this person as Jesus. And they say, wow, it's Jesus. So guess what Peter says? Well, I'm going to walk on water too. And so he starts walking on water. And everything is going well until he starts drowning. And he says, whoa, whoa, Lord, save me. And, and the Lord saves him. Quite a character. Don't you be you know, We need to have some Peters in Redeemer life. Don't you think so? I think we need to have colorful people like that. And then, then of course, in chapter, chapter 16, um, Jesus is, is spending time with his disciples, and he says, um, well, who do people say I am? Who do people say I am? And, and, of course, they say, well, some say you're this prophet, some say you're that prophet, some say you are the other prophet. And, and Jesus looks at them and says, but who do you say I am? And then... Peter, of course, puts up his hand. I've got students like that in my class. You know, he puts up his hand and says, You are the Christ. You are the Son of God. You're God himself. To which Jesus says, You're right, Peter. You're right. And on this rock, I will build my church. So, of course, the church is divided on what does it mean on this rock. I am of the opinion as I read the text the rock is that truth that Jesus is the Christ. The rock is not Peter himself because Peter means rock. And so when people think too much about themselves, things go wrong. I don't know why did his mother call him Peter, the rock, but that's how he behaved. You know, some, some, some people are just sure about themselves. It's like, Students I have who will just blurt out and they'll say, with a very firm look on their face, they'll say, I know this is the right answer. And you have to politely go and tell them later on that, you know, maybe that's not the right answer. It's like the used car salesman. You know, you go to them and they, say, they kind of say, this is the right car for you. This is just the most amazing car. If you don't buy this now, you're going to die. And you buy the car because you don't want to die, right? So that's how Peter was. Sometimes he got it right. And right after that, Jesus says, you know, I'm going to be, I'm going to be abused. And they'll put me on the cross. I will die. And he begins rebuking Jesus. He says, well, what are you talking about? You know, he shouts at Jesus. In Greek, that's the word that's used there. He literally shouts at Jesus. And Jesus says, come on, Peter. Just because you got it right on this theological thing that I'm the Messiah, I'm the divine one, the Son of God, you don't probably have it right all the time. So then Jesus takes him on this journey and he goes to, and this is found in Matthew chapter 17. I'm sticking with Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew now. You have these descriptions in the other three Gospels as well, where 
uh, Jesus is with Peter, James, and John. And Jesus always spent time with this smaller group of people, three people. So there is 70, there's 500, there is 70, there is 12, and then there's three. And Jesus takes them and, and they find Moses and Elijah speaking with Jesus. And, and they're all shining bright. And, and of course, Peter again speaks up. And he says, whoa, let's worship all three of you. There's Moses, let's worship Moses. There's Elijah, let's worship Elijah. And let's worship you too. Oh, come on, Peter. Quiet him down for a little bit. And so, of course, all the other two disappear and only Jesus is left standing there. In Matthew chapter 17, Matthew chapter 26, again, uh, you know, Peter is all about, oh, look at me, I'm going to die before they, I let you do anything, they, uh, uh, let, let them do anything to you. And, and Jesus says, quieten down, Peter. You know something? Before the cock crows, you're going to deny me three times. And of course, Peter is upset about it. And, and then when Jesus is taken to, to, to the court of, of the Sanhedrin and, and into Pilate's palace, and he, he, he denies Jesus three times in front of people who were little slave people. Three times. And then he's beside himself, and I don't know what happens to him, but he all runs away. He runs away and... And he is, uh, he probably leads the others as well, because that's what happens. That's the thing about leadership. We'll see that a little bit. They all skitter batter beside themselves. And then he hears these women. And then he is beside himself because he sees an empty tomb and, and he doesn't know what to do, what to make of all this. And, and, and that's when we encounter our text for today in John chapter 21. So would you, would you arise and let's read this together, John chapter 21. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee it happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and the two disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, he answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord. He wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. 
When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, but even when so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This is now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he had raised from the dead. When he had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Shimon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out on your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Follow me. And of course, Peter did die an awful death. We know that from history. Lord, we pray that you would speak to us as we meditate briefly on this powerful text. In the name of the risen, ascended Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Do be seated. Do be seated. Quite a powerful chain of events here, right? Quite a powerful chain of events here, where here there is Peter, and he is so discouraged, so disheartened. What is his solution? I'm going to chuck it all. I'm going to chuck it all. You know, I was doing some research work on on what happens to pastors. And so bear with me as I read some of this. This is research work done by uh, the Fuller Theological Seminary, the Francis Schaeffer Institute of Church Leadership Development. And here's what it says. It was a survey conducted of 1,050 pastors all in California. And here's what it says. Of the 1,050 100% of the pastors which were surveyed, every one of them had a close associate or seminary buddy who had left the ministry because of burnout, conflict in their church, or from a moral failure. 100% knew someone. 948, that's 90% of the pastors stated they were frequently fatigued and worn out on a weekly 
and even daily basis. 935, that's 89% of the pastors we surveyed also considered leaving the ministry at one time or another. 590, 57% said they would leave if they had better place to go, including secular work. Do you see the relationship? I'm going to chuck it all. I'm going to go and fish. That's what I know how to do. And he went. And then it goes on to say that 35 to 40% of pastors actually do leave the ministry, most after only five years. It is one of the most discouraging field of vocation, almost equivalent to medical sciences, the field of medicine, and some of the other fields where people are so discouraged. And what comes to my mind is I was at a conference recently. I spoke at the central conference meetings. And here's what, uh, I'm, the only reason I'm able to say this is because this was a public statement made by an Asian American pastor. He came forward from one of the states nearby and he said, I'm so discouraged. I'm so discouraged because of what me and my family have gone through. And I want to change my profession. I'm most discouraged because my wife is most discouraged. She doesn't even believe in the goodness of God anymore because of what my church has done to me and my family. And I've seen this over and over again because I see this among students that come to me who are children of pastors. And they would come and say to me, I don't want anything about the Bible anymore. They don't want to take my classes. I don't want anything to do with the church anymore. Would you give me a break? And I would weep with them. And I would say, just stick, stick with this class, would you? Because... Jesus will reveal himself to you. The Bible will bring about healing. And thankfully, the Lord does his work. The Spirit of God does his work. But I can think about so many stories of students who've been so discouraged. And I think that's where Peter was. He was discouraged. And, and he wanted to chuck it all. He wanted to just throw it all away. And, and, and notice what he does. When he does that, the others follow him. That's another thing that happens. When leaders are discouraged and they want to chuck it all, others want to follow them and they take down others as well. And they usually go back to their original profession, which is what Peter did. But notice what happens. They catch nothing. What is it in Russian? Nichivo, Nichivo, nothing. Chunyata. There is nothingness, a theme that is there in Buddhism and Hinduism 
in all of those religions where they don't catch anything. And so they're utterly discouraged. They're neither here, neither are they there. And believe me, I've talked to pastors who have chucked the ministry and gone into another profession. They are not happy. But notice what Jesus does. Notice what Jesus does. As you go and look at the text a little further, you find that Jesus, first of all, all he does is he stands there just observing them. I like that, don't you? He's just, he could have gone and shouted at them. You scoundrels! I told you this is what's going to happen to you. But he just goes there and he stands there just quietly observing them. Secondly, and this is verse 5 of chapter 21, he calls out to them. And I want to say this is a very gentle call. And he calls them, in the, in, in, in the New International Version, it says friends. It's not really friends. The word that's used there is paidos. He brings them to the realization of who they were. The word paidos in the New Testament and in Roman texts is always used of children slaves that were enslaved by the Roman officials. That's what he calls them. He says, you know how you were treated, and I understand that. Peter, I understand where you're coming from. I understand that your dysfunctions are multiplying and are catching up with you in these moments of crises. Paidos, paidos. And then he asks them a simple question. Fish? Any fish? No, no deep theological question, but just a simple question. You know fish, right, Peter? What about fish? I want to take a step back here. The word fish in Greek uh, is the word ichthus, ichthus. So if you, if you go into the early church, in the first 300, 400 years of the history of the early church, and you go to the catacombs in Rome, for example, you'll never see a cross there. Nowhere in the early church of the first 400 years you find the cross. But you find the fish. Because that is what became the symbol of the creedal statement of the early church. In Greek... The word ichthus became uh, the, the, the code word for the creedal statement that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus Christos, Theo, Huyu, Soterio, which means Jesus is the Christ. What kind of a Christ? He's the Son of God. He's God Himself, and He is my Savior. It all had to do with the fish, where Jesus transformed the symbol of the fish. You, do you remember Jonah? He was swallowed by the big fish, right? Why the big fish? 
because it was the big fish that the Canaanites worshipped, that the Ninevites worshipped, that the Egyptians worshipped, the Babylonians worshipped, and the Sumerians worshipped. It was the worship of the big fish through which they did horrible things to others. But God causes Jonah to be swallowed by the big fish because God is in control of the fish. And so, Jesus asks Peter and all the disciples, fish, they say nothing. And Jesus says, cast your nets on the other side. And when they did, they find all this fish, all this fish, all this fish. And they're so excited that it's all this fish because, and then they realize, this is Jesus. This is the Lord. You know, that's what Jesus does. He's quiet. He sees where you are, brings you to the realization to just in quietness come into his presence and let him do the job. And he will do the job. And he does. And then the next thing that Jesus does is he says, let's have a party. Isn't that cool? He goes to his disciples and he says, well, that's like the party you're going to have next week. I, I think it should be for all the women, you know, mothers, grandmothers, whoever, women, because we need to celebrate women in our life. And, and, and that's what Jesus does. He has breakfast with them. He has this amazing meal with them. Actually, the word that's used there is a description of the Passover meal in the Greek. So it's not really breakfast. We translate it as breakfast because it's that time of the day. But, you know, in different parts of the world, breakfast means different stuff, right? You could have something amazing that you usually have at dinner at breakfast time in Thailand. Right? So that's what he has with, with his disciples. And then he comes to Peter. He comes to Peter after this party, after he's had his fill and he's calmed down. He's seen God do mirac miraculous stuff. And he asks him three times the question Do you love me? I know you want to do all this stuff. I know you want to be the big macho guy. I know you want to have the answers to everything. I know you're impetuous. I know that there, there is so many dysfunctions in your life. I know all the pains that you have gone through. But Peter, I want to ask you this simple question because your whole ministry depends on this one question. Do you love me more than these Everything, economics, your family, whoever it is, unless your ministry is based on this single question, your ministry is not going to go anywhere. Do you love me more than these? And Peter, of course, uses different words for love and says, you know I love you, you know I love you, you know I love you. But Jesus kept asking him because each time he says, do you love me? He's responding to each of those denials of Peter. In Peter's mind, it's like that healing power coming over him. I denied him. I denied him. I denied him. 
But now I want to say, I love you. I love you. I love you. And Jesus says, come, follow me. You're okay, Peter. You're okay. Let's pray. As the worship team is coming forward, I, I want us to, to come in the presence of the Holy Spirit, if you will, please. And maybe you're like Peter. Maybe you have a lot of baggage that you bring with you from the time you were little to the time you went through your teenage years and your college years and your your years of growing up into parenthood, whatever it is. And you, you, you think, and I think, that we can do it by ourselves. Would you come before the Lord and answer that simple question, do you love me more than these? Unless you and I are able to say, to the Lord, yes, Lord, I love you more than anything, anything, anything. We're not going to make a dent in the ministry of the Lord. So would you come before Jesus and say, yes, Lord, I love you. More than myself, more than my wife, my husband, my family, my property, my job, my children, whatever it is. Would you come before Jesus and say, I love you, I love you, I love you, Jesus, more than all this. Hear these prayers, O oh Lord, hear these prayers. So that my brothers and sisters here at Redeemer Life will be used by you. Take us, take our love, elevate it to the highest level, for we want to be used by you. Oh, Jesus, in your name we pray. Amen.